0: Amazing. So I, I, I've, I've seen that story and I've heard it and so many times. And every time I see it, it, I just find it moving. All of these stories I've found really moving. They're just people's stories. But there's something so powerful about, about those stories. And um, a massive thank you to all those who have contributed to that. Because you know what? It's no small thing to agree to seeing your face up there on the screen and, and hearing your own voice, and it's quite disconcerting. It's a really, you know, but we've loved hearing your stories, and of course, we're only scratching the surface. That there's so much more to every one of those stories than you can possibly fit into a three-minute video. Um, but, but really, really powerful, and um, also just massive thank you to Matt Rutham and Ethan Clark, who have put so much time into the filming and the editing of those, and they've produced something of, you know, really, really top quality. Um, I'd also just, at, at this moment, just acknowledge, without this becoming an, o- an Oscar's acceptance speech, um, but King's Church, London, who's it's a church in Southeast London with which we have very, very strong links, and they did the invited series this time last year, and um, you know they very graciously allowed us to use and adapt their materials for our own purposes. Um, just in case you think we were terribly clever in coming up with all of this ourselves, uh, let me just burst that particular bubble. Um, so here we are, final week, week seven. And, um, you know, I think that this has been and is a really, really important series for us, a really important topic for us as a church, for where we are as a church. And so through the series, we've been tracing the theme of God's passion and God's desire for diversity and for a diverse church. And we've been mainly tracing that through the book of Acts, but actually through the whole Bible and through all of history, We've heard stories of diversity from the first century in the Middle East, as well as 21st century stories of diversity from right here in High Wycombe. We've looked at some very practical issues, uh, things like cultural misunderstandings and how easy it is for those to arise and the need for trust. Remember Joel speaking on the screen about the need for trust, the elephant in the, in the, at the table is, is the hurdle of trust and the need for forgiveness and grace and acceptance We've been encouraging people to share meals together, and of course, that is something that goes beyond the Invited series. That's something that we should be doing, and we should go on doing, because it's such a powerful thing when you sit down together over food. We've lost a little bit of that significance in our culture, but it's such a powerful, symbolic thing, and uh, the thing of fellowship, when you sit down over food, and you build understanding, you build a relationship, you tear down barriers, and you... You build community, so let's keep doing that. And just to reiterate something I said back in week two of this series, that this whole series and the the hospitality challenge is not primarily about white British people inviting non-white, non-British people, although I hope that's happening, because that's really important as well. But it's a challenge for all. Whichever nation you're from, whichever cultural background you have, the challenge is, who are you inviting who is different from you to build that community? So let's keep doing it, all of us, let's, let's keep doing it, let's keep on inviting. We've been going through daily devotions on the book of Acts, if you've been using our invited book. Many of us have been talking about these things in our small groups, and we've broken bread together, as we're going to do again today, which is a powerful declaration, and a powerful act of unity in our diversity. But you know, God has blessed us so abundantly in so many ways as a church. He really has, and one of those ways, one of those blessings is the richness of the diversity that we have here across our two sites and across our three meetings here at King's. But where I want us to go today and what I want us to see today is that actually God's passion for diversity is infinitely bigger than ours. It's massively bigger than ours. It is amazing what God has done here and what God is continuing to do here, and we want to keep moving forward in that, hence this series, hence inviting Owen Hilton back for Leaders' Day. We want this to carry on beyond the series, not just be limited to seven weeks, but that it's something that gets into our mindset as a church, into our DNA as a church. You know, we know we've only just started, really, in this whole thing of diversity, and we've got a long way to go, but I do trust that as God continues to work in us in this area and as we... Become more and more aware and more and more intentional about it, then we will see us continuing to grow in diversity. And we will see us continuing to grow in unity within that diversity as we see it emerge more and more in leadership and we see it emerge more and more in our worship and in all areas of church life, really. And it will just be this growing beauty. It is beautiful. Unity and diversity is a beautiful thing, it's a godly thing, and it's a powerful witness to the world of the power of God and we will see that growing as God continues to work this blend of different cultures coming together in kingdom culture but God's vision is so much bigger than ours it's far bigger it goes way beyond a large multi-ethnic church in High Wycombe as good as that is and there are a couple of reasons for that first reason is that diversity itself of course goes way beyond ethnicity and culture and race So the message of Acts, the message of this series is everyone is invited. We've heard it every week at the end of the video. Everyone is invited. And the fact is that some of the barriers that some may feel to that invitation to sit at God's table may not be about race. It could be about education or sexuality or age, gender, social class, your past. There can be all sorts of reasons, all sorts of barriers, some of which we may be putting up unknowingly. It's why this series is so important that we can see some of our blind spots, be made aware of some of our blind spots, because we don't want to be a church that's putting up... We want to be building bridges, not putting up unnecessary barriers. Some barriers are good, some barriers are necessary, but we don't want to be putting up unnecessary, unknowing barriers, ungodly barriers. That's why this is so so important, what we're talking about, what we're doing here. But there are all sorts of different reasons why some may feel, no, actually, I'm not invited I'm not welcome in there. I'm not invited to God's table. I'm, maybe, you know, I'm, maybe it's I'm not invited because I'm old. Or I'm not invited because I'm gay. Or I'm not invited because I've got learning difficulties. You know, I don't fit here. I don't fit with this group of people. I don't, maybe it's I don't feel invited because I'm working class. Or because I'm homeless. Or actually because I've had a really troubled life. I've done some terrible things in my past. So I, I can't be invited. I'm not good enough, I can't be invited. But the message is, and the message has to be, no, no, everyone, everyone is invited to sit at God's table. So diversity is way beyond ethnicity and race, but the second reason for saying that God's vision for diversity is so much bigger than ours comes in Revelation chapter 7, which is where we're going to focus today. Because even if you do just take the issue of ethnic diversity, we see here that God's vision is so much bigger bigger what we see here in chapter 7 is what god is taking creation towards this is where world history is heading now just to note of course before i read it revelation is written using apocalyptic language which is something we're not very familiar with because we don't use it and so it can be a bit strange a bit confusing some weird imagery and all that kind of thing so don't worry about that where there are some weird things in there i'll try and explain as best i can once i've read the passage so revelation chapter 7 says after this i saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree and then i saw another angel coming up from the east having the seal of the living god he called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our god and then I heard the number of those who were sealed 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel from the tribe of Judah 12,000 were sealed from the tribe of Reuben 12,000 from the tribe of Gad 12,000 from the tribe of Asher 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon 12,000 from the tribe of Levi 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun 12,000, from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000, from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God for ever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they." who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's a stunning vision, but it's a bit confusing as well in places. There's some strange imagery in that. So I'm just going to try and summarize the passage and then explain what this shows us about God's passion for diversity and how it is so much bigger than ours. So chapter 7 that I just read there is a kind of an interlude in the proceedings of Revelation. So in the previous chapter, you read about these seven seals that are being opened so remember, it's apocalyptic language and imagery. These seven seals are being opened. As each one of these seals is opened, it unleashes some kind of a disaster that's going to fall on the earth. So plagues and famine and earthquakes. It's a bit of a terrifying vision. And it raises the question, really, but who could survive any of that? You know, Surely everything and everyone is going to be destroyed by all of that. Um, And then chapter seven comes as an interlude between the opening of the sixth seal and the opening of the seventh seal in the next chapter. And it answers that question, who could survive this, by showing how God's people will be kept safe, how God's people are made secure. And so you can split the chapter into three main sections. The first section is verses one to eight. And so John, John is the one who is seeing this whole vision of the book of Revelation. And it's the same John as was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. So John is he first of all sees this vision of these four angels holding back the four winds. And it's like these angels are holding back all those disasters that are being unleashed until a seal can be put on the foreheads of the servants of God, of God's people. And then John hears the number of those being sealed. He hears the number, 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe of Israel. And I'll come back to that number in just a minute. But what, what is this seal on the forehead about? What does sealing something do, and what does it mean? If you think back to, you know, in ancient times when a letter would be sent, maybe from a king or someone important, and a wax seal would be used, and the, 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 the coat of arms or the mark of that king would be in there because he's pressed his signet ring into the hot wax. What is that seal achieving? Well, it's a, the, a few things. One is its ownership. It shows ownership. This is my letter. I am the one who's written this. These are my words because it's got my seal on it. It also shows authenticity. This is my mark. This is the genuine article. So ownership and authenticity. But it also protects the contents of the letter so that not just anybody can read this letter. So there's ownership and authenticity and protection. Or another way of thinking about it, I don't know if anybody, does anybody here make their own jam? Anybody? Anybody? Yes? So when you make your own jam when you put the jam in the sterilized jar, is there something, is there some sort of seal? Is there something you put in the lid or on top? or Wax paper, thank you, thank you. Jilly's <laughs> saying you can. I'm, I'm not eating in your, no. <laughs> you put some wax paper in to seal it. And, and what, what's that doing? It's preserving the in, what's inside from the harmful things outside, from bacteria and all that kind of thing. So it, there's a preservation going on with this seal. So God putting this seal on his people, it's a picture of ownership and authenticity. You know, this, is my per- I, this person is a genuine child of God. This person belongs to me. It's ownership and authenticity, and it's a picture of preservation that the person who has this seal on them will be protected from the trouble in the world. Not immune from going through troubles in the world, but protected from being destroyed by the trouble in the world and the trouble that is coming to the world. You know, destruction may fall on the earth, but Actually, the church will prove to be indestructible. That's what God is saying with this this seal. So if you belong to God, you've been sealed. Your salvation is secure. But what about this figure of 144,000? There have been various interpretations of this. Some people say that's just talking about Jews because uh, it lists the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, Or Jews who will believe, believing Jews. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses have a different interpretation of that. But it, it does seem overwhelmingly most likely that, like most numbers in Revelation, this is a symbolic number, not a statistic. You know, you have certain numbers in the Bible, seven and twelve, numbers of completeness. They symbolize completeness. So 12,000 from 12 tribes, 12 times 12, 12,000 times 12. This is a number of completeness. It's a bit like when Jesus uh, says, I tell you, you don't forgive seven times. But 77 times, or 70 times 7, and what Jesus isn't saying there is you keep a tally and then on the 78th time you can shoot them. No, no, he means you keep on forgiving. It's a number of completeness, it's what we have here. This 144,000 represents the full number of all those who would be, who will be saved, all believers, Jews and Gentiles, from every tribe, tongue, nation, etc. So 144,000 really represents an enormous number. A huge number, the full number of all of God's people from all of history receiving this seal from God to be preserved and kept safe. Then in the second section of the chapter, verses 9 to 12, John sees something. He hears. He hears something in the first section. He hears about this 144,000, but now he looks and he sees a great multitude that no one can count, that no one can number. This is the same group as the 144,000. So he hears about something and then he sees what that actually looks like and that happens elsewhere in Revelation. So chapter five, for example, John hears about the lion of the tribe of Judah but then he looks and he sees a lamb looking as if it had been slain. But it's the same person, the lion and the lamb. It's the same person. This is the explanation of that. What he sees is the explanation of what he has heard. And what he sees here, what this 144,000 sealed by God actually represents, is this enormous, huge and vast vision of diversity. It's enormous, a multitude that no one can count. Just too many people for anyone to possibly be able to count. From every tribe, every nation, every people group, every language, rejoicing before the throne of God. Then the third section, verses 13-17, we're told that this great multitude are those who have gone through the great tribulation. So the trial and the suffering that is in the world and that is coming to the world. But we read that these people are under the shelter of God. So it says, uh, he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. It's a beautiful image, isn't it? Of safety and security. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's just a stunning picture a beautiful and powerful vision of the future of God's people. This is what the future looks like. People from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, this massive number enjoying God forever in his presence for eternity, completely and utterly fulfilled, completely and utterly happy and overflowing with joy and there's no more sickness, there's no more suffering, there's no more tears. I mean, it's kind of unimaginable for us. And yet God is saying, but that is where you're going. That's where world history is heading, to that vision, to that culmination. And everyone, everyone is invited to that. Everyone is invited to be part of it. So God's vision of diversity, it is far bigger than a a large multi-ethnic church in High Wycombe. Now our vision here at King's, the vision that God has given us, I think is a big vision. But it's just one small part of an enormous global vision that God has. And we've seen over the last seven weeks that this has been God's vision from the very start. So going back to creation, diversity in creation, he made them male and female, and then through to the languages, nations, people, groups that result from the scattering at Babel. Uh, And then on into Genesis 12 and God's foundational promise to Abraham that all nations, all peoples, all families on earth will be blessed through your family, We've seen the whole of biblical history is pointing towards that. The whole of biblical history is pointing towards something far greater, something of far greater scope than one nation in the Middle East. You know, Israel in the land was never the end of the story. Jesus in Palestine was never the end of the story. It goes so much further, and Jesus himself gave this command to to go and make disciples of all nations. He's saying, "You now go and start fulfilling That promise that I made to Abraham all those years ago, you're now going to start to see that fulfilled before your eyes and you're going to be instrumental in it. Go and make disciples of all nations. Take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we see it start to happen in the book of Acts. We see an Ethiopian invited in to God's people. We see um, a Roman centurion, Cornelius and his family, invited in. We see the Gentiles being invited in. You know, churches established in Antioch and churches elsewhere going to all nations. We see a vicious persecutor of the church and of Christians invited in with earth-shattering consequences. Everyone is invited. Everyone. And so the gospel goes and it gains throughout the book of Acts, it just gains momentum like a tidal wave that you, you can't stop throughout the book of Acts. But the thing is, that Acts doesn't really have a proper ending. The the gospel is spreading, diversity is growing, but then Acts stops, kind of mid-flow, with the mission still ongoing. Now, those of you who are following the devotional notes will come to the last day on Saturday, which has Acts 29 written at the top, and um, the sharper ones among you will know that there's no such thing as Acts 29. It's not been written you know it doesn't it doesn't exist it really represents the ongoing story of the church and the spread of the gospel because of course the gospel continued to spread beyond the book of acts it went to spain not long after it went into africa it went to other parts of the world it reached britain in the 4th century and it's continued spreading since throughout history spreading towards the ends of the earth and we're still part of that story we are part of that amazing story that we already know the conclusion of. We've seen the glorious conclusion that comes in Revelation seven. But what chapters are we writing here in the UK, and even here in 21st century High Wycombe? What chapters are we? What chapter of Acts would we be in by now? I guess we'd be in the thousands if you kept writing it. We'd be. Yeah, probably in the thousands. I wonder what figures, people, events would be written about from, our, from the last 2,000 years. I mean, you see in the book of Acts this big battle fought over some key doctrines, so circumcision, should Gentiles be circumcised, all of that kind of thing. But, well, then there have been further battles over doctrine in, in history. So I guess people like Athanasius and Martin Luther would feature in the subsequent chapters of Acts. And you might have some great preachers in there like Jonathan Edwards and Charles Spurgeon or John Wesley and others from around the world. And some of the great revivals that have taken place in various places of the world as well. They would all be written in the subsequent chapters of Acts. What chapters will be written about the 21st century Britain? And even 21st century High Wycombe? Our story. Our part of this story. What chapters will be written about what God does through us? And what God does in us? The story is still going on. The gospel is still spreading. The world is still being blessed. But... The gospel, of course, has not yet gone to the ends of the earth. It hasn't gone to the whole world. It hasn't gone to every people group. There's some debate about how many different people groups there are in the world. So it depends how you define a people group. So under one definition, the figure can be as high as 24,000. But quite a widely used figure is that there are 13,000, around 13,000 different people groups in the world. And by a different people group, that means that if, for example, you were to take the gospel to that people group, you would experience significant cultural and language barriers because of the different cultural expressions and languages from one people group to another. So significantly different people groups, 13,000 of them. Out of those 13,000, something like 6,000 are considered to be unreached, which means that um, Christian influence and Christian presence is pretty nominal, and there's no no self-replicating church in that culture. Then there are 1,500 people groups that are defined as unengaged, so no Christians, No ministry, no no missionaries, no church. That's a lot of people groups. Just have a look at this map from the Joshua Project. The green areas on that map represent places in the world where there is a significant and established and self replicating church. The yellow areas is where there's Christian presence, but it's pretty nominal, it's not doing so well. And then the red areas are the least reached areas. There's a lot of red. There are some red dots on there that you can't even see because there are some very, very small people groups in different parts of the world. But look, at that is a lot of red areas. 13,000 people groups. But here's the thing. Jesus wants all of them. He is jealous for all of them. He wants every one of those people groups to be represented. God's word to Abraham was that in you, all nations, all people groups, all languages on earth will be blessed. Not some of them. The, 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 the vision in Revelation is a great multitude from every nation, every people, every tribe, every tongue, not just, not just some of them. Jesus wants all of them because everyone is invited. You know, if I asked you to look after my three kids while I went off for a couple of hours to do something, and I came back and you said to me, well, I've got two of them for you. Um, I don't know where the third one is, but hey, two out of three is pretty good, isn't it? That's not bad. You know, that's not going to go down very well. I mean, I guess it depends which one. No, it it doesn't depend which one at all. No, no, it's not going to go down very well. I want all my kids back. I want all three of them back safe and sound. Two out of three is not good enough. It's not at all good enough. Jesus himself, he wants all of them. He said, people will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. East and west and north and south is just a way of saying everywhere. People will come from everywhere, every bit of land, every nation, every people group, every tongue. People will come from everywhere because everyone is invited. Now, we can't all go to the ends of the earth. For some, that will be the calling. But for the majority, it won't be. There are things we can do. Obviously, we can all pray. You know, If you really believe in the power of prayer, you will know that is one of the most powerful things you could possibly do, is to be praying regularly for unreached peoples. And there might be a particular people group that's particularly on your heart. We can give. So we can give to support missionary organizations that are reaching unreached people groups. But actually, you need to know that through your giving to the church, if you give to the church through your giving, you are corporately connected to various unreached people groups in the world. So through our work in Nepal with the church in Kathmandu and the children's homes in the Dolpa region, so that's a picture of part of the Dolpa region, a really remote region in Nepal. You can't drive to it. You have to trek to it or get a helicopter. And um, we hear that one year they baptised 60 people. I mean, what would we give to baptise 60 people this year? I mean, that's too small, isn't it? But what would we give to baptize 60 people here in one year? One, 60 people in this incredibly remote region. And what was an unreached people group now has a growing church. It's a remarkable, it is remarkable, this incredibly remote region of Nepal. We also support Jackie and Wes Ringer uh, with Wycliffe Bible translators in South Sudan. It's, it's a, not the best picture, but this is a picture of something that happened very recently, just in the last few weeks, because they completed the translation of the Bible in the Didinga language. And this is the dedication ceremony that they had. They're all there holding their Bibles. Everyone's overjoyed. So a people group that didn't have a written down version of the Bible now do. Unreached people groups being reached. We're supporting people working in the Middle East. In the Arab world, we're supporting people working in Pakistan. So your your giving to the church connects you corporately in supporting the gospel going to unreached people. But diversity is also about everyday mission because the nations are here and they're not all in the church so we have something like 20,000 pakistani muslims living in this town but i don't see them in the church now that's tough ground we know that and we've got some incredible people who are dedicated to working in in that area and uh, you know but but actually we all have a part to play because what do What do the Pakistani Muslims in this town need to see in God's people? They need to see Christians who are living authentic lives, who are living authentic, Jesus-following lives, who are shining with the light of Christ, who are witnessing to the power of Christ. That is what they need to see in Christians in this town, from the churches of this town. We all have our part to play. The way we live our lives, that's part of our mission. We have a massive responsibility. If we're on mission locally, in our workplaces, at the school gates, with our friends, in our neighbourhoods, then we will be reaching the nations. You you don't have to go to the ends of the earth. You probably can't go go to the ends of the earth, but the nations are here. And so the question is, are you on mission? Is that in your mindset? Is that in your DNA? Are you on mission in your workplace, at the school gate, with your friends, with your family, with your neighbours? Are you playing an active part in that mission that God has given us, to see ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. Ordinary people changed and filled by an extraordinary God. Are you part of that mission? Are you playing your part in that mission? We're going to be having a real focus on that in the autumn term, and looking at how do we equip and mobilize people in that mission. But mission doesn't wait until the autumn term, because people are lost now. And people are perishing now and we have the responsibility, we've been given the responsibility by Jesus himself to be his witnesses to the world and to those people who he has put in our lives. Who has God put in your life? Who doesn't know him? You don't have to go to the ends of the earth to be on mission. Hey, we've got a couple of great opportunities here. Next week, two weeks after that, you know, the gospel will be preached here And this will evidence the resurrection. Two great opportunities. So invite. Come on. Let's invite people. Let's get people here. Let's let's do everything we can to invite people to these things, even if it feels uncomfortable for us. Let's do it. There is nothing more important that we could be doing. You don't have to go to the ends of the earth to be on mission. The book of Acts ends with the Apostle Paul under house arrest. He can't go to the ends of the earth anymore. The man who's been traveling around the world at great risk to himself and he's zealously planting and establishing churches all over the place. He, he can't go where he wants to go anymore. And it's all fueled by his love of Jesus and his passion for the spread of the gospel but now he's stuck. He can't even leave the house. What does he do? Well, we see at the end of the book of Acts for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and he welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he did. Paul didn't let circumstances stop him. He didn't let the fact he couldn't go to the ends of the earth anymore stop him. He just didn't stop inviting people. He didn't stop telling people about Jesus and he would take any and every opportunity to do that because Jesus' mission was his mission and he gave his life for it. He gave everything for it. It was in his very soul. He was unable to do anything but pray and wait on God and preach the word of God and tell anybody who would listen about the good news of Jesus Christ. He gave everything. Are we willing to do the same? And if not, why? Do we really believe this? Are we willing to do the same? Am I willing? Are you willing to give everything? Your time, your money, your reputation? lives to give everything for this global vision, this global mission that Jesus has given us, always holding in our sight that glorious vision in Revelation 7, the culmination of all of history this great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every people, every tribe, every tongue singing salvation belongs to our God if you are in Christ you will be there, you will see that with your own eyes And if we are being obedient to God's mission, if we're being obedient to the great commission that Jesus has given us, there will be people who are also there because God brought you into their lives. We have a huge responsibility. Who do you have in your life who doesn't know God? And how are you going to reach them? Are you trying to reach them? Paul acted out of a cast iron conviction that the gospel is true. That the gospel is powerful. That the gospel transforms lives. That the gospel is enough. And everyone is welcome at God's table. Do we really share that conviction? And do we live like we share that conviction? Everyone is welcome at God's table. Everyone is invited. Amen.